Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence. Powered by the research of Talkers Magazine, the national conversation. It's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. These are interesting times. Another compelling week of rapidly unfolding topics in the national conversation, April 29th through May 3rd. The big buzz on the minds and tongues of talk show hosts, guests, callers, pundits, and commentators, people with microphones, telephones, and digital recording devices, has been the ongoing aftermath of the Mueller report, the provocative document that just keeps on giving. The battleground scene was carried live on radio and TV from the United States Senate on Wednesday and House of Representatives on Thursday as warring partisans rallied behind either Robert Mueller's reported dissatisfaction with Attorney General William Barr's four-page summary of the 400-page redacted document or Barr's defense of Donald Trump and the position that the President of the United States has the right to fire a special prosecutor or anyone in the Justice Department he thinks is politically motivated to scuttle his administration's agenda, a mission he was duly elected to pursue. Questions being debated. Is it obstruction of justice if there is no crime? Did the Mueller report actually exonerate the president of committing a crime, even though it did not specifically suggest he should be indicted for collusion with the Russians? Or is the word exonerate a gross exaggeration, a distortion of legal terminology, or more specifically, a downright lie? Did Attorney General William Barr effectively do his job on behalf of justice and the American people? Or did he do a job on the American people on behalf of his boss, Donald J. Trump? The big argument dominating the national conversation bangs on. Is the deep state, D.C. swamp, and mainstream media illegally and unethically trying to wage a coup to topple a duly elected presidency because he poses a threat to their cushy status quo? Or is the executive branch of the United States government being run by spineless sycophants and shady characters under the control of a gaslighting narcissist with authoritarian impulses? Welcome to the Michael Harrison Wrap, an examination of the past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I am editor and publisher. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, vice president and executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. At number 10, the NBA playoffs. Finally, the real basketball season is upon us. What a difference it makes when the games really matter. No kidding. At number nine, Game of Thrones tied with Avenger Endgame. Now, I must admit, I've not seen more than five minutes of Game of Thrones eight successful seasons, but it truly is a pop cultural phenomenon, as indicated by the enormous buzz and praise it keeps getting. As far as the uh, Avengers movie is concerned, 
Three and a half hours in a theater seat. Better avoid those large-sized drinks. At number eight, Illinois high school blackface protest. 1,000 students walked off in protest of school officials not pushing back with appropriate conviction when several classmates of theirs posted racist videos on social media. At number seven this week, vaccination controversy tied with the related measles outbreak and Ebola in the Congo. We'll be discussing these with our go-to medical doctor and radio talk show host, Dahlia Wax. At number six this week, Southern border crisis tied with the Venezuela unrest. Exactly what is the state of the immigration issue and what role has the U.S. played and should it continue to play in South American affairs? At number five this week, the Trump tax returns and the emoluments investigation. We'll be talking with a man who can honestly claim to have been Donald Trump's vice president, and he's not Mike Pence. At number four this week, the UNCC shooting and the related broader topic of gun violence. What's there to say about a recurring nightmare about which the only thing left to say is there's nothing left to say? At number three this week, the San Diego synagogue shooting and the related larger topic, the rise of anti-Semitism across the globe. A very disturbing anti-Semitic cartoon somehow found its way into the New York Times. What does that indicate? At number two this week, 2020 presidential politics. Joe Biden has jumped into the lead, but it's early in the race, and colorful, controversial political consultant Dick Morris will be joining us to predict the early and inevitable fall of the former vice president, and this his third bid for the brass ring. The top story this week, number one, the bar hearings tied with the Mueller report release. And we'll be getting into that right now. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. Let's pivot now to a conversation with Lee Habib, the producer and host of a rapidly growing nightly syndicated radio show called Our American Stories. Lee is an American-born, self-identified Arab-American who graduated with a law degree from the University of Virginia School of Law in the same class with Laura Ingram. In 1991, he was one of the executives involved in launching her syndicated show. Now he's bringing a new brand of storytelling to the airwaves and a nonpartisan but distinctly conservative point of view. Well, here's what I've always thought about America. I think, forget Republican and Democrat, for just a minute. And if we ask people, and I do this all the time, I speak at universities a lot. I live in a university town. We're in Oxford, Mississippi, the home of Ole Miss. And we've always wanted to, our team has always thought, wow, small town talking to big cities and small towns, rather than big city talking to down to small towns. Um, there's something for the, that, that we really love about the idea of being a small town talking to the big country. The core of what we're trying to do is tell stories about values. And so when I give these kind of talks, I'll say, how many of you want to have children? And the students will raise their hand. I said, dream with me. You've got two kids. One does all the work and chores. The other doesn't do anything. Do you give them the same allowance? Nobody, not one kid raises their hand yes. I said, you've created inequality immediately. Long pause. So I'm not discussing uh, political inequality, right? right? I'm talking about the very personal kind that no parent would see treating those two kids the same. And so we deal with philosophical, uh, the philosophical realm, which is what storytelling always does. I mean, let's look at the Bible. Whether you're a Christian or a Jew or not, the stories in the Bible, the prodigal son, Cain and Abel, they resonate forever because they're about jealousy, envy, leaving home, coming back home. Um, big stories about personal responsibility, love, death, sex, 
Um, that's what we do. And our values are deeply classical Judeo-Christian values. Um, and, and so our stories are resonating with not only conservatives, Michael, but I believe that most moderates, most centrist Democrats, I think very few Americans wake up every day hard, super hard right and hard, super hard left. It's why we'll have eight years of Obama and then maybe eight years of Trump and then maybe eight years of another Democrat. And think about it, since the 60s, it's been eight years on, eight years off, Republican for eight years, Democrat for eight years, but for Jimmy Carter, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, George H.W. Bush also served one term, but it was tacked on to the first two terms of uh, the Reagan administration. So it was actually 12 years of Republicans under uh, Reagan and George Bush. And so there's something about the American character that says, well, we don't want to we don't really have a favorite team, but we have some favorite ideas, freedom, personal responsibility, the opportunity to succeed and keep some of what we do. Um, and a love of our country. I think Americans love their country. And I think that there's been a lot of talking down of our country. And so we try to shine the light on all of the remarkable people who help make this country great. And we think people make the country great, not government. Now, yeah, we yeah. need a government, but, our, but our, our, our show never deals with whether tax rates should be 33% or 40%. That's for somebody else to discuss. But we do talk about the fact that without our nation's entrepreneurs, for instance, without Henry Ford, there would have been no arsenal of democracy. And how do we win World War II if we can't produce a lot of planes, tanks, pigeons, boats, rifles? And we had great men and women working in the war effort. And my goodness, what an integration story the war was. But World War II was also a capitalism story, right? And it was a story about how the means of production, these car plants, could be turned to help the country beat the Nazi war machine. And so nobody's telling that story. Conservatives enjoy hearing it, but your average liberal is agreeing too. Um, and I call them the old-fashioned blue dog Democrats. Um, and then there's this new kind of liberal called the very far-left progressive. I think this is a great exaggeration how much of the party this actually occupies, it won't surprise me at all that Joe Biden or someone like it wins the nomination. Because I think in the end, America is a very center, center country. Um, and I don't think everybody, anybody knows how to wrap their hands around talking to them. Our goal was to talk to the majority of Americans, not the slim minority on the outside. So, you know, lo- sort of a long-winded answer, but, but a really deep question, Mike, Michael, about, I think, the bifurcated nature of audience siloing. And we really looked at Clint Eastwood because this guy has been making movies for, since Unforgiven, he's made 22 movies. He's had five number ones. And I think it's because he's been writing pretty much the same movie, a classic American Western with a flawed hero who goes out to do something hard, does it, there's a cost, and then he goes back home. Because all he wants to do, whether it's the, the character in Unforgiven or it's Sully, all he wants to do is go back home to his family after having done a really good, hard job. Hmm. And those classic American values, Michael, for me, redemption, love, hard work, self-sacrifice, the government's not involved in these things. And I will, I will add one more thing. I, I often ask, as I close my talks with campuses, I say, boys, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to take a pledge with me. I promise, and there's some whispers, I promise to love 
a woman one day, and only that woman, and to love the children of that woman. I promise if I have a child with a woman, to marry that woman and take care of that child. And guys, if you'll do that, you will change the world. This is not a political statement. This is a personal pledge. If we all do this today, that would be the greatest social justice program the world has ever known. Let's love our children. While I have you, Lee, what are your thoughts about the immigration issue? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. First of all, we're almost all immigrants. The argument in America is over legal immigration. And by the way, my grandfathers on both sides did not appreciate when they found out that people stowed away and came here illegally. My one grandfather waited nine years to come here from Lebanon. The one from Sicily waited seven. They learned the Constitution. They swore allegiance to America. You know, the, the oath of allegiance to America, and by the way, Mike, we cover immigration swearing ceremonies every July 4th, and watching people come here legally is a beautiful thing. The argument in America is over illegal immigration, not immigration. We have to remember that. Um, and there are some people who want no checks on borders. And there are some people who think borders matter. And I think that the media has been very unfair to people who think borders matter. And very unfair to immigrants like myself who love immigration, but love legal immigration and do not appreciate illegal immigration. And I've watched both parties keep illegal immigration alive for their own political purposes. And it's despicable um, because they could solve it quickly. We know where our package is with FedEx. We, we know all the time. We could solve the illegal immigration problem if we wanted to. I think both parties like to keep it alive. What we do is celebrate the immigrant experience because the immigration story is America's story. But there have been times, Michael, for instance, under Roosevelt's watch during the Great Depression, we stopped immigration. Because what happens is if there are no jobs and you let in another 10 million people, this will create tremendous dissension. What's remarkable now is we, we need more people in America. There's no question we need more immigrants because we need, we're not having as many kids, and we, we have a shortage of workers in the country. We're at 3% unemployment. So what's interesting to me is the left and the right don't want to sit down in a room and hammer out something that makes sense for America, because the left is enjoying calling the right racists, and the right is enjoying calling the left open border Marxists. And both of them are lying and neither of them want to solve the problem. But the average American and the average immigrant, my experience in America being an Arab has been that one out of every 50 people doesn't like me because I'm an Arab and has called me an ugly name. My parents taught me to ignore those people, but they're still to get to know them because that's ignorance. But the way that Americans treat of the other is one of the most beautiful things in the world. We marry, we intermarry, the Protestants marry Catholics, the unimaginable in the 19th century. We have Arabs marrying Italians, Germans marrying Polish, Jews marrying Gentiles. The way in which we love, make families, is so beautiful. And I hate the media, because the media doesn't want to celebrate the good. The real bias of the media is they need a train wreck to sell. And if there isn't one, 
you sometimes get the feeling they'd make one if they had to. That's the articulate host of the syndicated radio program, Our American Stories. His name is Lee Habib. Check them out at OurAmericanNetwork.org. Coming up next, a look at the growing field of competitors running for the Democratic nomination for the presidency and the forthcoming 2020 election. This week's second most discussed conversation in talk media across America, according to Talkers Magazine. Can Joe Biden go all the way? We just heard Lee Habib say that he thinks he can and that the Democrats and the country are more centrist than people realize. However, our next guest coming up has a different point of view about the state of the country and the future of Joe Biden's campaign. That's next. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap, an overview of the national conversation on Washington's Wonk FM. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison wrap, an overview of the national conversation. The presidential race of 2020 is getting lots of attention, even though it's still quite early in the going. Former Vice President Joe Biden finally announced, and he's now leading in the polls. I had a conversation this past Thursday with colorful, controversial political consultant Dick Morris, who says... Biden won't be able to maintain that status for long. So, Dick, you've been doing some very interesting commentaries lately on uh, what I call the clown car. And I guess I'm not the only one calling it that. The clown car of candidates is more than 20 now running on the uh, Democratic Party side for the presidency. You know, the guy who's winning everything on Jeopardy. Yeah. You know, the TV show. They should ask him to name all 21 candidates and he'd be off the show. Uh, he, that that might be the thing to have him lose. But uh, yeah, I don't remember sure. seeing a field. I mean, I thought the field was pretty fantastically large back in 2016 when Trump took on 17 or so professional Republicans. And sometimes he sounded like a Democrat. If you didn't know the labels and everything, yeah. he ran against the Bushes. He ran against uh, the Iraq war. He, he ran yeah. ag- it was amazing. But um, let's get right down to some of the nitty gritty. At the time that you and I are having this conversation, Biden has already announced Biden has moved to the front of the pack. Uh, Bernie has fallen back a little bit. You got Buttigieg in there. You got uh, Beto or Beto O'Rourke uh, being kind of bland and not following up. Elizabeth Warren is still in the mix. You have Kamala Harris. Yeah. I'm not going to name them all either. I don't want to go on Jeopardy. The point is that we're getting to really see what the Democrats are about. And yeah. what I find interesting, and your take is fascinating, are the Democrats heading left or are the Democrats heading, uh, heading center? So what's your take no, uh, no, on Biden, first they're of headed, all? They're, they're headed so far to the left, you can't see them. They're disappearing over the ridge. Um, and it's traditional. It happens all the time. Right? Whenever a liberal loses an election, the party always does not move to the center. It moves to the left. That happened after Humphrey lost to Nixon. The next candidate was McGovern. It happened after Carter lost to Reagan. The next candidates were Mondale and Dukakis. In Britain, when Callahan lost to Thatcher, the Labour Party's next candidates were Kinnock and Foote, way over leftist. And that dynamic is going on now. But what I think is fascinating in my last couple of columns been about is I think Joe Biden is about to get blown out of the water by scandals involving his son, Hunter. Um, there are two scandals. Uh, 
first of all, just background. Hunter, as you know, was dishonorably discharged from the military for cocaine use. And uh, when you know you're going to get drug tested, that's not a cool thing to get thrown out for. Um, he set up a hedge fund uh, with a um, with a partner of his named, uh, uh, Dar- I, I think the name is Dawson. I'm sorry, I'm blocking on the name, but with a, with, a, with a guy his age. And it was called Somerset Hedge Fund. And um, he, his father went to China when he was vice president. And Hunter went with him on an official delegation. And 10 days after the trip in 2011, the Bank of China, a government-owned bank, decided to invest one and a half billion, with a B, dollars in his hedge fund. Hedge fund is called Rosemont. Uh, I'm sorry, Rosemont Seneca, and um, Biden was on the board and ran the hedge fund as well as his partner, and uh, they got a billion and a half dollar investment from China, and they then used some of that money to help the Bank of China acquire a military contractor uh, that did business in the United States, providing precision parts to the American military. And Bank of China bought 51%, and Hunter bought 49%. That's scandal one. Scandal two is that when Yanakovich, the bad guy, the the, um, Stalinist, who was ousted in the elections in Ukraine, uh, Manafort was his Manafort's client. Um, When that election happened, Obama designated Vice President Biden as his point man on the Ukraine. Biden, uh, two years after he left office, read in a speech that he had told the Ukrainians that he would cancel a $1 billion loan guarantee, which would send the Ukrainian currency into a tailspin if a special prosecutor who was investigating Hunter was not fired. And the special prosecutor named Slotkin uh, was fired almost immediately after Biden made the threat, and the cases against Hunter were closed. And the case against Hunter related to another hedge fund in Ukraine called Burisma. And uh, Hunter got, and his partner got $3 million in consulting fees from this contractor over a one year period. And uh, he was under investigation as to what he did for this and why he got all this when he had no particular expertise. And uh, the assumption was, of course, that it was linked to uh, Joe Biden. But a Slotkin was fired as he began to push this investigation. And a new prosecutor was appointed, who since then has turned on Biden and is now picking up where Slotkin left off in investigating Hunter and is in touch with in prosecutors in the United States to further this investigation. So these are two very serious scandals, uh, both directly looping in Biden, uh, China, because he met with the president of China uh, 11 days before the Bank of China extended the investment to Hunter's firm, and the Ukraine, because first he bragged about that intervention and in a speech before the Council on Foreign Relations, and secondly, because he was instrumental as Obama's point man in dealing with the Ukraine. Dick, this is certainly more damaging than um, the fact that he may have invaded some women's personal space 
through his touchy feely yeah. nature. Um, where do you sure. think? Where do, when, I have no doubt that you're correct that this uh, is going to be a major uh, news story in the coming days. Where do you think it's going to come from? His Democratic opponents or from Trump? Uh, every everybody, Trump and the Democrats, by um, Bernie and Trump and all of them will pile on Biden. It's the joy of being the front runner in a twenty-one candidate field. Do you think that Biden? Do you think Syria. Biden is not running it properly by being so out there so fast? Is he peaking? Uh, it, would he be smarter to be more stealth in his early yeah. campaign? Yeah, he with a record like that, he sure would be. That's political consultant and author Dick Morris, who has a new book out titled Fifty Shades of Politics." Find out more at dickmorris.com. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. An outbreak of measles, controversy over vaccinations, and a new Ebola scare in the Congo were part of the national conversation this week. We turn to radio talk show host and highly respected physician, Dr. Dahlia Wax, for some clarity. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Does the vaccination controversy make doctors crazy? Oh my gosh, yes, it does. It is so tricky and it is so convoluted where, you know, sometimes there's no right answer. I choose the side of vaccines because obviously what we've done with polio and smallpox and tetanus is phenomenal, but unfortunately nothing is perfect. And so when these rare anecdotal cases come up with a side effect or a Guillain-Barre where the body reacts to the vaccine and attacks the nerve system, we have a tough time calming down the hysteria that ends up ensuing and trying to convince parents that it's for the greater good. And so it's very, very challenging because in order for a vaccination campaign to work, you need to have everybody on board. And I don't think we're ever going to get everybody on board. Because uh, vaccinations has been politicized and it's become a political weapon of sorts, uh, Mm -hmm. can't a case be made in the medical profession that any procedure, that any surgery, that any um, drug or med uh, has a downside and that isolated cases can be brought out and shown how dangerous they are? No, you are so right. Absolutely. There is not anything, even a Tylenol, acetaminophen, that could be considered a thousand percent safe. You are taking risks no matter what. But the challenge that I'm seeing as a radio host and as a doctor is we in medicine aren't being very consistent. And so how can you blame people who are anti-vaccine or pro-vaccine from not getting on the same page. So, for example, you know, measles can be deadly, 700 cases, you know, across the United States, but flu is even deadlier. And we're trying to be very robust and, you know, very adamant about getting our measles vaccine, but we don't do the same with the flu vaccine. Every time we try to recommend mandated flu vaccines, everybody fights it. So then you have people saying, well, wait a second, I don't get the flu vaccine, but I'm allowed to go to work. And flu killed 80,000 people last year. But measles, you're worried about measles. And so we're having a tough time being consistent. And we in the medical community have to decide 
Are we going to mandate all vaccines or are we going to let people pick and choose? And that's why this is this is a challenge that I don't even know how to solve. Well, I mean, the, the, the medical profession is not one monolithic organization. I mean, there are different mm-hmm. points of view in the sciences. And, 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 and I would imagine that it's impossible to expect any one governing body of the medical establishment right. to be able to be the official word. You're so right. You know, even doctors among us, whether you're family medicine or internists or surgeons or pediatricians or within the family medicine realm, we disagree. You know, the American Academy of Family Physicians, you know, comes out with statements, which I support because I'm a part of the AAFP. But, you know, when you have patients that say or doctors who say, look, you know, one of my patients got a Guillain-Barre, you know, reaction to it. So if they don't want to get the injection or, you know, they have a family member that doesn't want to get it, I'm not going to push it. And so, you know, medicine isn't also, as like you've kind of alluded to in the past, an all or nothing. Sometimes people are different and, you know, you know, um, you can't sometimes treat everybody like a herd. The problem is, is, you know, with vaccines, herd immunity works. So in medicine, unfortunately, we're treating people as a herd when it comes to vaccinations. So what is the status of measles? Is is this outbreak of measles something to be concerned about? And do you think it's connected directly to the movement toward not vaccination, uh, toward not uh, vaccinating kids by a lot of parents? Or are there other factors involved that go beyond the, the vaccination issue? Absolutely. Great question. Um, I think it's multifactorial. And the reason why is whenever these measles outbreaks have surfaced, the news hasn't really been publicizing it a lot. But we are getting reports that some of these cases are in people who were vaccinated. And so weeks ago, I had called out on my show and said, look, can somebody tell us how many of these measles cases were in people who actually did get the vaccine? Because if so, we might be dealing with a more virulent strain of the virus we might be dealing with a weak vaccine or those of us who were vaccinated, maybe we need a booster. And think, you know, luckily a week or two later, the news started to say for those of us vaccinated before 1989, maybe we need a second shot. And that's exactly the sort of discourse we need. I can't stand where in, you know, the media or medicine or politics, they start going after groups of people like anti-vaxxers and blaming them for the problem because then nobody keeps their eyes open and realizes that maybe those who are vaccinating aren't being immunized properly and we need to do boosters. That's what happened with the whole pertussis issue. People were getting pertussis, they blamed the anti-vaxxers, and then they realized, oh, looks like we need a booster. So if vaccinated people are coming down with the measles, that has to be transparent. That has to be known. And we need to be educated on that because otherwise we're blaming a group of people who might be at fault or might be part of the problem, but that might not be the root of the problem. Are measles more dangerous in older people than younger people, uh, meaning adults versus children? I've heard it said, you know, a kid could handle it better, but uh, if you get it as an adult, you're in real trouble. But what's the reality of that? That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, there are some similarities with measles and chickenpox. With chickenpox, you're a thousand percent correct. Getting chickenpox as an adult for the first time 
can be scary, which is why we as kids had chicken box parties. Parents wanted to make sure we got chicken pox as a kid. With measles, unfortunately, the encephalitis or the meningitis and the brain infections could occur at any age. And so, um, you know, nobody's out of the woods. And um, with measles, it doesn't have that, that predictability like chicken pox does where you know it's going to get worse with age. Anybody could unfortunately have a real, real bad case. Give us a little insight on the Ebola thing. Is this going to become a worldwide pandemic, or is is this something that uh, is still not um, a crisis? I think it is a crisis, but I don't think we're at that stage where we have to worry about pandemic yet. I am blown away by the UN and the World Health Organization and the um, Doctors Without Border organizations and nurses and staff and everybody out there because they are working under gunfire. They are under assault as they are trying to vaccinate and contain this. But what makes this trickier than any other Ebola outbreak, and Ebola's been around since the 70s, it's been, it was discovered in the 70s, and there's been smolderings ever since its discovery of 200 cases here, 200 cases there, but this is considered the second largest, being at about six, 700 cases right now because they are having trouble containing it. There's a lot of distrust. People don't want to get vaccinated. They don't want to go to a facility that could get bombed. And so unlike what happened in West Africa, where once people found out they got scared and they trusted, you know, you know, modernization and countries and doctors coming in, you have a lot more distrust now. In fact, some people think it's the insurgents that could be doing it to them. So it's starting to be a little bit of a mess and the potential for it to go global is there definitely. And, and we can't let our guard down. But um I'm, I'm watching this closely, and I'm very optimistic. That's radio talk show host and noted physician Dr. Dahlia Wax. Coming up next, President Trump's tax return problems with the state of New York when we continue with the Michael Harrison rap on Washington's Wonk FM. Continuing with the Michael Harrison rap on Washington's Wonk FM. The House Ways and Means Committee isn't the only governing body trying to get its hands on President Trump's tax returns. So is the state of New York, as it tries to pass a law that opens the door to the state being able to get possession of Trump's state tax returns. I discussed it with 27-year veteran WPG Atlantic City morning host Harry Hurley, this year's New Jersey Broadcaster of the Year, who once served several years as a vice president in Trump's hotel organization. You were, at one time, Donald Trump's vice president. Yes, now, and my name is not Pence. I, I, I am a former senior hotel executive, and I was very, very fortunate. Uh, I interviewed with then-president of Trump Hotels and Casino Resorts, Donald Trump, because to run one of his hotel divisions, he had to hire you. I had a great interview with uh, Mr. Trump, he hired me. I spent about two and a half years with him. We were together every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I was always very honored. He stayed in what I called my hotel. It was his hotel, but he allowed me to call it my hotel. Uh, he had four to choose from. He stayed in the hotel that I ran, so that gave me more hang time with him than probably any of the other senior hotel executives because he did make his way around to all of his hotels, but obviously we would. he, he had the... Um, the pad to land the helicopter right on top of the then Trump Castle Casino Resort, which is now the Golden Nugget for your listeners' information. The building, the bones are great. It's still there all these years later. And it was a great proving ground. It was a great experience. And I left only, I left on my terms to start the Hurley in the Morning program. I'm very blessed and 
and uh, at least smart enough to know that. You had no idea. I mean, you, you couldn't have had an inkling of an idea that you were working for a man who would someday be president of the United States. Well, this is a tr- I don't think we've ever talked about this, Michael, but in all the times that we would walk from door to door, Mr. Trump used to love, he would call me and say, Harry, let's go knock on some doors. And that meant we were just going to pick random hotel guests. I would ring the doorbell or knock on the door. And when the door would open, even then, and we're talking basically 30 years ago, literally 30 years ago, people were starstruck, awestruck when Mr. Trump was at their door, even then. And in the times where we would be walking in between appointments and things like that, I would talk to him about the presidency because he was long floated. And the interviews are out there uh, that would you ever run for president? Would you ever consider it? He said he didn't have a burning desire, but that if there was a point in time where there were things going on in the country that he could not tolerate and that he felt that his skill sets uh, were such that he could do the job, he felt he could do the job, and he always left it open, Michael, that he might one day run for president, and he has run for president three times, once exploratory, and then it ended quickly, another time for a little bit longer, and it ended, and then, of course, the 2016 election. Having worked for him and seeing how his operation uh, works uh, on a sustained uh, period, I mean, you were his vice president longer than most members of his cabinet or his administration uh, get to be members of of that organization. Uh, Do you get any insight when you see uh, the way the White House is described and the way his, his administration is described uh, there are always different points of view. Some people say it's chaotic. Others say that he's very demanding and he knows what he wants. Have you gained, as a talk show host, insight into how the administration operates, having seen a Trump operation and been part of it for, for more than two years? Unquestionably, yes. And here's how. And it was a beautiful head start that I had on most in our business. Most in our business, most in the country, didn't think he could even win. I have a column in advance of the election that will prove that I had predicted he was going to win. And even the states where Republicans had not been able to win, Pennsylvania, fool's gold, nobody could win it. Trump did. Michigan, oh my gosh, what's he doing there? Wisconsin, what's he doing there? He has an uncanny knack for looking at something. Also, the thing that serves him very well, he's an incredibly fast study. I would think even his, um, what I call Trump derangement syndrome haters, would have to admit that's a job that I don't care who you are, you are not ready to be the president. Even George H.W. Bush, vice president for two terms, ambassador to China, Republican National Committee chair, CIA director, no one is ready to be president until you are the president. I think the learning curve for President Trump, especially considering the pressure that he has been under, has been extraordinary. I think he's done a tremendous job, and I'm not surprised because I watched him. When he had four casinos, and it was a very challenging time in Atlantic City, and he's keeping four casinos afloat, and you're talking about either needing four databases or trying to avoid cannibalizing your own database, and making it in one market with three casinos and four hotels. And this term chaos is used. I don't subscribe to it, but I'll buy into it on your show for this moment and say that he is outstanding under pressure, and I think he has shown that. Well, he doesn't seem to be showing any of the wear and tear that other presidents have, uh, and, and, and he is not a young man. 
Um, I don't see any signs of, you know, how they show presidents after the first year, the second year, the third year, they get grayer and their eyes get darker and they start to get gaunt and they age. I don't see any of this reflecting on his persona. Uh, well, here's the thing. There's a such thing as chronological and biological age. I would submit to your listeners that there is no question that he possesses more vitality than anyone that I've ever seen. He's up 20 hours a day. This is when he was 40, when I knew him, and we, we kept in contact all these years. He was very generous to the early in the morning charity over all these years, so we never lost contact. But when I first met him in his early 40s, and now that he is 72, there is no declination or degrading, rather, in his, in his energy. He only sleeps a few hours a night. So for people that have never kept the pace, most people that have become president, even though typically you have to be very successful to become president in the first place, and no citizen has ever become president in 242 years until President Donald Trump, the 45th president. His energy level, he's infatigable. So that's why he's not aging. This pace, he has kept this pace his entire life. So what's your take uh, being, you know, just down the coast from uh, New York State where he's having some issues uh, with uh, the New York State legislature wanting to change laws so that uh, uh, New York can uh, turn over his um, tax returns from New York, which would be kind of similar to the tax returns for his federal income tax uh, because uh, he does business out of New York. Um, I'm sure you're talking about this on your program. What's your take on it, uh, both as a political uh, commentator, but also as somebody who has done business with Trump about the, the whole situation with his taxes? All right, let me comment. I, I, I'm so glad you asked this because, sure, it comes up. It comes up a lot. I'm concerned about the weaponization that's going on in our country. The New York Attorney General, Letitia James, she publicly announced, Michael, even before she was sworn into office, that she was, quote, going after President Trump, and I think she only called him Trump. That's the other thing that I, I find very disrespectful. I always referred to Barack Obama, who I disagree with on everything. You call the person the title they've earned. They've been elected by tens of millions of Americans, 60-plus million Americans, and won the Electoral College and became the president. They should become the president. In the age of Trump, he is referred to as Trump. Articles start with Trump. They don't even start with President Trump said today. And then later on, maybe you go with just the last name. Uh, it's, it's disgraceful. But for an attorney general-elect to announce that she's going after Trump and, quote, anyone in his orbit, it's outrageous and it's dangerous. It's actually Stalinesque. If you remember Beria, he was Stalin's henchman. He operated under the philosophy of, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. With President Trump, I have no problem. If you have absolute, beyond suspicion, reasonable cause to say that a crime has been committed, that's what we do in this country. We investigate crimes. They're in search of crimes now. So I'm very, very disappointed. It is weaponization. It's wrong. There's no suspicion of any tax crimes or anything like that. So these are just wild fishing expeditions. I'm very turned off by it. It's never been done before like this. And President Trump has incurred an, an unparalleled, unprecedented level of this kind of attack. After the Mueller report, like a balloon that lost all the air and spit to the ground, uh, now, oh, now we've got to see his tax returns for, the, for his whole life. 
it's it's not good. It's not good for our republic. It's it's not um, the way this country should operate. That's Harry Hurley, who's hosted the morning show at WPG in Atlantic City, New Jersey, for the past 27-plus years, and before that served as a vice president in the Trump Organization, where he ran one of the company's hotel-casino complexes. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. There's been a lot of chat on the airwaves and Internet this past week about the TV show Game of Thrones. Joining us is the executive director of the D.C. radio company and longtime White House senior correspondent Victoria Jones, who is a devoted fan of the HBO hit TV series. So tell us, uh, without telling us the whole story, obviously, or or, or spoiler alerts, what what is it, Victoria, that makes uh, Game of Thrones such a phenomenon what what aspect of this show has captured the um the imagination and the attention of so many people because you've got a, a, a group of several different houses if you like of people who are all claimants to the iron throne okay and they're all from different parts of the kingdom some from the north, which is very cold, some from the south. They are vaguely related, maybe not related. Some know each other. And they've all got claims to this Iron Throne, and they are determined to get it. And over the eight seasons, they are fighting their way towards the Iron Throne. And some of them are unbelievably evil. Some have better claims than others, but we don't know who's going to get the Iron Throne, or why any of them would really want it, quite honestly, and then they'll rule all the kingdoms. And people, multiple people get killed doing this, um, and it, it is set in a time pre-social media, where the way of killing people is with axes and swords and things like that. But there's also a tiny bit of magic, but only a tiny bit. So it's not like fantasy, it's like real life. And in fact, you're not even sure there is magic. Um, for the first few seasons, or, or that there is another world, otherworldly stuff. Um, mm. But it, it is entirely plausible. It's incredibly exciting. The acting is superb. The acting is uh, astonishingly good. It's gripping. And, um, and, and it doesn't take itself so seriously that you can't watch a scene and go... That was bloody funny, as well as exciting, and as well as, oh my God, I think I'm going to cry because the best person in the entire show just got killed. So the Iron Throne is a, is a, is a make-believe um, uh, crown of a make-believe place. So in some ways, it's sort of like Lord of the Rings, that it takes place in, a, in, a, in an Earth-like, medieval-esque uh, yes, but, medieval, but, medieval. Yeah. See, I've never liked medieval. Medieval always struck me. I've always been, I, I, I have this natural uh, aversion to anything that takes place with knights and castles and mud. It's, it's unattractive to me. And yet so many great stories, you know, King Arthur, the round, Camelot. I didn't like Camelot. And I'm a musical fan because it was sort of... Interesting. In, in, yeah, yeah. I, 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 castles and, and knights and, 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 and it just strikes me as a, as a dirty, dumb time. I believe that the medieval time was pre-Renaissance, um, when, when the Enlightenment came and all of a sudden everything started to become colorful and nice and, you know, uh, modern times. Yes, but well, root. yes, but it was. But this isn't, um, unenlightened. And there are different kingdoms. There are kingdoms that are in, in warm weather. You know, some of them are in very warm weather. And, and there's a, a great deal of knowledge. They just don't have, like, technical knowledge. that They haven't got cars, 
you know. Okay, so 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 it's it's a it's an amalgam of kingdoms, and this Iron Throne is like the central kingdom. Those are like states, yeah. and this is like the federal government. Yeah, li like that. And the person who the the family that is holding it is unbelievably evil. And this isn't a spoiler because everybody knows this in the first season. The woman who's mainly holding it, Cersei. Um, uh, is having has been having an incestuous relationship with her brother. Has uh, three children by him, and um, uh, so that that sets up a very interesting dynamic because he's a bit conflicted with that. Not surprisingly, she's not conflicted with it at all, and she is a villain throughout the entire piece. Hmm. Now, now here's the here's the sixty four billion dollar question. Is this connected in any way through metaphor or through political commentary to today's politics? In other words, are the writers of this show lecturing us or drawing parallels or morals to the story or just giving us information and education about how the skullduggery, there's a great word, the skullduggery that goes on behind the scenes in terms of today's politics carries out and plays in terms of human nature? You know, I would say that this really is a current-day politics-free zone. As the saying goes, uneasy is the head that wears the crown. That's Victoria Jones from the DC Radio Company, and that does it for this past week of April 29th through May 3rd. This has been the Michael Harrison Wrap. Join us next weekend for another overview of the national conversation on Washington's Wonk FM. The Michael Harrison Rap is a production of Good Phone Communications in association with Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.